Hey everyone, my name is Jared Hogan. And I'm Christian Schultz. And this is Good. Well, hello again. Welcome to a new and another episode of Good. Jared, we're here again. How are you? Hey. <laughs> doing hey. good. Doing good. No, I'm I'm doing well. What I'm really curious about is how everybody listening is doing right now. Yeah. I wish that there was some maybe we'll get there someday where it's a live version of this and then it goes up later. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think that might get a little a little risky. That sounds like a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's like I, I, I don't really want to perform. I just want to be me. Yeah, and then if people disagree with us now, they take it out on us on Twitter, but <laughs> they could literally throw things at us if they yeah. disagreed with us at a live thing. Right. So I don't want. So to for now, let's just keep it how it is. Let's okay. let's make the best of what we have. Okay, deal. But yeah, um, Jared, what are we talking about this week? Man, this week we are talking about a movie, a movie you may have seen, a movie you may not have seen. So I would say if you haven't seen The Revenant, maybe turn this off now because this will include spoilers. Yes. But here, let's preface this a little bit and let's just mention that what we don't want this podcast to be is like a review. Right. None of these podcasts should ever feel like a review of a movie. I think we're coming at it from the side of just being lovers of film and the 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 art of film, and we love filmmakers, you know. So um, yeah. So there's no like, grades. This, there's no one to right. ten ranking. This right. is like impressions, and I think most of them are going to be mixed. You know what I mean? Like right. I love this. I don't know as much, or maybe even like I would say for this movie in particular. There's a lot of things that I'm totally still processing that I don't even right. know if I could really oh, totally. articulate my response. Yeah. But so. also what, I, what we, I, I would like it to not be is we both are just like so crazy in love with this movie because I feel like that would be a really boring topic. Do you that's, know what I mean? That's true. So we're going to try our best and hopefully um, just stick with us, I guess, through this thing. If it gets a little hairy, we'll make it, uh, we'll make it up. So, okay, so let's just start here. Yeah. The Revenant, first impressions. First impressions. I'm going to try and describe my, um, I watch a lot of movies in theaters. So the way that I kind of describe it to people is like how I felt in the theater. So it's very much like a theater experience. Um, I don't wait for movies to come out on iTunes or on DVD or whatever. Is that kind of like, on principle for you? You know what? I don't know. I think it's it's like... Um, Is it kind of... Like, I would say case by case for me. Like, when I look at The Revenant, there's no way I could watch that for the first time in my living room. No Before way. I yeah, even yeah. saw it, I think I could arrive at yeah. that conclusion. That that's a, that is well, a theater movie. Right. But I feel that way sort of about all films. Maybe not. Um, I think there's some films that I like to um, 
there's some films like, you know, like, like uh, Goodwill Hunting or something like that, like a classic movie that you could just watch anywhere. I don't think the theater experience would have made that any larger or like make it feel um, sure. more special or something. But for certain films, and it's something that you can just tell even from watching certain trailers or something and just anticipating something coming out, I think um, certain films, you just feel you I have yeah, to see Yeah, I mean, it's theater. the scale. Yeah. You know, it's you have to watch it on the big screen. And I think so much of at least you know for this movie movies that are similar to The Revenant, it's experiential. You've got to let, like watching oh, yeah. it in a theater with people for sure totally heightens the experience yeah. of watching this film. Okay, so back yeah. back to the real question. So take me so you're getting popcorn. Yep. Do you do you eat popcorn? I get pop I get literally the same thing every time. I have like a really awesome Cinemark right by my house. I literally walk to it probably twice a week. Yeah. And it's like, amazing, self, it's like a self-serve uh, concession stand type thing. Like what? you, Yeah, like you get your own drink and you pick out your own candy and they have like, you know, this is like a cinema commercial, so I won't spend a lot of time on this. But I love it. I get a popcorn and I get a Coke. Do you put your own popcorn in your own bag? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I've never even heard of that before. Okay, so just... To preface the the experience, you grab your popcorn, yep. your soda, yep. or whatever. Okay, so um, I'm sitting in the theater. Yeah. First impressions, um, I'll skip to the end and say when I walked out of this movie, it was probably the heaviest I felt coming out of a film in a long time. Ever? Um, mm, I don't want to say ever, but I want to say in a long time. Yeah. Like my breathing had changed my like entire state of being were you was breathing completely... like leo yeah <laughs> i was like uh you know i mean i think that's the thing is like there's so in this film there's so many peaks and valleys that it's just like a it's like a pulse and you feel the pulse through the entire thing and when you get out of it it's like this release you know and it's like yeah. this I can only really describe it to kind of, I don't want to sound too cliche or I don't know if it's cliche, but it felt very much like a spiritual experience. And I walked yeah. out and I like had to, I just had to breathe by myself for a second, you know, and I had to get in my car Did and you I just see sat it by in my yourself? car for a second. Yeah. I saw it by myself. Yeah. Um, I see most movies by That's myself. That's the best way to see movies. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I, I, would, I would agree. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's my first impression was like, this is, extremely heavy yeah and going off of what you said just a minute ago um i didn't feel that way for birdman i didn't feel that way for beautiful you know i didn't yeah. feel that way for Babel. this is something different this is something i feel like um is special yeah so what was your first impression so i was meeting a friend and i was running behind so i was like sprinting into the theater and i sat down and well this will actually, this is, this kind of like speaks to how engaged I was in uh -huh. this movie. So I went to this theater where they have like the, uh, the recliner chairs now. <laughs> Do you have those? Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, not, not at the uh, Cinemark, but at some theaters around here. Yeah. Are we getting sponsored by Cinemark or? Dude, eventually. Okay. That's a goal okay. for sure. Just send them this episode. Um, <laughs> so. This is kind of embarrassing, and I hesitate to even admit this, but 
Um, I kind of have a really bad track record at falling asleep in movies yeah. with the recliner chairs. Right. Let me tell you the extent of how bad this has gotten. That <laughs> I saw Mad Max twice in the same yeah. theater with those recliner chairs, and I fell asleep <laughs> both times to Mad Max. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out just for a minute because okay. we went and saw Mission oh, Impossible no. together. Oh no. I have video proof of this. The, and these were not recliner seats. Okay, you just okay. fell asleep. Just okay. outright fell it asleep. It was late. Okay. And it was ghost protocol. So <laughs> That is true. So. But I will say I've seen it in person. It is real. So I, I, I struggle with just a smidge of narcolepsy. <laughs> and you would too if you had three kids. Yeah. No, I mean, I bet. I, so. I, I, I believe you. Okay. So all that to say, I didn't fall asleep during this movie. That's good. So that tells you something. Yeah. No, but for real. Um, yeah, I think everything you said I would agree with. It was um, it was a crazy experience from beginning to end. Yeah. I've, I mean, you know, even thinking about, I know this is very different, but thinking about a movie like Mad Max where it's a visceral experience from the moment the movie starts. This has felt totally different to me. Um, obviously, my Max is designed to do something totally different, but I felt um, engaged with these characters. I cared about these characters. And I just, yeah, I, I left exhausted. Yeah. I think that's what I felt. I mean, I was like, like I need to just, like, it felt like a release because like, I was so exhausted. And it was like, but it was so good, right? Like it, you, it felt like you earned it in some way. Yeah, for sure. I um, I, I mean, there's so much to talk about with this movie, but I, I still feel like I'm digesting so much of it and still trying to process so much of it. Yeah. Things that I really, really loved. I, Dude, I wish I could make this, like, less boring and be like, here are all the things that, like, really took me out of the experience or, like, really threw me off. Yeah. I wish I could say that. And I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. But it was just an experience where I, I felt engaged, and then when it ended, felt totally satisfied. Oh, yeah. No, for sure, dude. I, I think you, and you did it right on the money. It's such, okay, this is, this is such like a stupid like consumer thing to say, but the trailer is so good. You know, <laughs> I, I, I yeah. had very high expectations because it's easy to make trailers good and to get really hyped up about a movie, but to really leave the movie and not be disappointed and not feel like I was misled or whatever. I didn't, right. I, that was, I did not have that experience. My experience right. was, um, everything that I hoped and expected the movie would be and, and more. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I, I would agree. Like the trailer definitely set up, it set up your anticipation. You know what I mean? Like it let you know you're going to have to watch this movie. And from the very get go you have to like anticipate and just be in it i guess that's how i felt like going into the first even when i saw like the studio logo or whatever i was like in my mind in my body i was like sinking down into the seat and just yeah. being getting ready to receive <laughs> which makes it some kind of weird that sounds really weird when i say it but like that's how i watched this yeah, movie yeah you shouldn't say that anymore <laughs> and it's funny looking looking back on um 
episode two with Ryan, I remember him saying Lubeski and Enaritu like kind of made this decision that they were going to shoot with like the cleanest right. look that they could. Yeah. And, you know, t- to achieve this, uh, to kind of erase the barrier between the viewer and the characters. Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I felt that. I felt so uh, a part of the, the narrative. Um, but, okay, so l- let's start talking about this a little bit more. Like, when it comes down to characters and performances and all that, I it's funny because I, I kind of didn't even really care about Leonardo DiCaprio's character that much. Huh. I don't know if you felt that way, but I didn't feel that connected to him. The only reason I really cared is because... Okay, spoiler alert. Just if you want to turn it off, go ahead and turn it off. I cared about his, uh, Hugh Glass is the character's name. I cared about Glass because of his son and his wife that he lost. So that's where I found myself really engaged and like pulling for him. Well, did but you think that he was, did you feel like he was an unlikable character? Um, or like he he didn't like his actual the acting of it like lacked something or depth. Well, it didn't give you much outside huh. of like the like the context that we found that character in the situation we found him in. I felt like, and I'm not even saying this was a mistake. I'm I just feel like I didn't have a whole lot to go on. I didn't find him likable outside of like the situation we found him in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was. No, I, I, I felt myself only pulling for him because there was so much against him. Yeah. In a di- in a different way, I felt like, not that I liked Tom Hardy, but Tom Hardy's character, I felt like I knew so much more. Sure. I think. Well, I think what was happening, and I don't really know the choice behind this with with Inaritu, but. Um, Hugh Glass's character, like, never said anything about himself. Like, huh. everything was always, um, everything that would give you context to who he is is coming from his son and his wife, like you just said. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he... Or, and like, or like, rumors. Right. And, like, Tom Hardy's character, he's always talking about himself. What happened to him, you mm. know, like... um like his thoughts and like what he thinks, like how he feels about, you know, Native Americans, how he feels about the current situation. He's always talking about That's really me, 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 you know, and Hugh Glass never says anything. So that's interest. That's, that's a really interesting point. And I feel like when I step back and think about it, who knows if this was the intent, but it feels like um, you could plug yourself in to that character. Yeah. Like as where, and maybe I'm making an excuse. Maybe it's totally like uh, a lack of good writing. I'm not really sure to be honest. But I I guess where I, where I kind of land on this is like I cared about Leonardo DiCaprio because of the situation we found him in. I didn't care about him as a character. And I feel like um, in some way you were able to like place yourself inside of his character because <laughs> he was so underdeveloped. You know what I right. mean? Like, I, and I again, I don't mean that in a negative way because the experience that I had following his character on this journey was remarkable. Yeah, 
But I, I wonder if there is if that was part of the tactic at all to be able to place yourself inside of this character. I think what it was for me, and this is how I took it after I internalized everything, his character had to feel um his character needed to feel like a god in some sense. You know what I mean? His character needed to feel DiCaprio. Um DiCaprio, Hugh Glass. Um he needed to feel like some sort of savior. Okay. Like, do you know what I mean? So, um, and I think at the same time, he's allowing you to like put yourself in that situation and every single hardship that he's going through, like you can kind of, I guess like you would be able to relate in some way, but like I felt the opposite way. He feels like a superhuman. Okay. Do you know what I mean? That's funny because I feel like much much differently than that when i look at um how the film was shot and made and we can get into some of these technical aspects i mean if we're talking like biblically i'm like he is job everything is taken away from him sure you know and then i feel like you, you look at even how the camera moves and the amount of like long takes and it feels like there's some kind of like omniscient observer the whole time you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like as as the, as the audience looking through like the lens, I feel like the camera almost acts more as like God and omniscient looking at this whole narrative unfold. Sure. Does that make sense? I think so. Well, then that, that kind of like that's getting into a whole nother topic, you know, like how I think that's something that I haven't yet internalized is how the intentions behind how he wanted me to feel yeah. like as the viewer, like the way that him and Shivo accomplished the look of this movie. I'm not quite sure how I was supposed to feel yeah, or how, um, what character I was supposed to inhabit or what view I was supposed to inhabit in some way. I mean, it feels like there's a lot of, of, factors and elements kind of like in play here. I feel like nature and it's like relentless drive yeah is huge. I feel like yeah. man's ability to um to live in like unity or conflict with nature is a big theme. And then I have to think that like there is a spiritual realm to this just with the way that the film is made and just like the surreal quality to like his flashbacks, the way he, I mean, that's the best way we get to know him is, is seeing these like different elements via flashbacks. So right, how all those elements kind of coexist, I'm with you. I'm not sure if I can really break down clearly how all those things work together. But I can yeah. see that they're present. Yeah. Well, one thing that I want to mention, and this may came, come across a little bit harsh, because I know that you're a huge Terrence Malick fan, but yeah. um, I'm just going to go ahead and say because I felt like this while I watched it, is um, I feel like Inaratu is the version of Terrence Malick that everybody wants. Huh. Um, because he still has those qualities of space and those qualities of like 
communicating intangible things through yeah. an image, you know, yeah. intangible things that you don't, you can't really describe. Um, but he's more like narratively. But he's more um, narratively satisfying. Like, right, satisfying. Yeah, that's why I think I've always felt this the way that I I I'm one of those guys that like I appreciate Terrence Malick to the core, and I will always watch his films. I will always go and see his films if they're around, you know. But like this was so satisfying on all on all levels of filmmaking yeah. you know where like it was satisfying on the subtextual level and then it was it was satisfying on just the visual visceral level you know even with like the um the incredible cgi stuff with the bear scene and then like the the trouble that he has to go through i think that's why i was so satisfied at the end of it like you were saying i was completely satisfied on all levels of like internalizing a film but I feel like, you know, I've had, I had friends who, who went and saw it and were like, man, that film was freaking boring, you know, or like. Boring seems um, like a, a very strange reaction to that film. Right. <laughs> let, me ask, let me ask you a question. Okay. How much is too much? And how do you justify the amount of um, relentless violence is one way to put it. I would just say like oppression toward your characters how how much is like how do you justify yeah the amount of um just like dread that's heaped on these characters yeah to me it's all about the resolve of the film like at the end am i going to f because you don't ever really feel that way like what you just asked me i would never feel that way in the middle of a film while I'm watching him go through all this stuff. It's only after the fact when I'm internalizing, like, man, that was kind of worthless. Like, he just kind of, like, crapped on this guy for, like, an hour. Right. You know? But, like, it's all about the way that it all comes together at the end for me. You know, the way that um, all the things that he made him go through or that the real person actually went through, what is the the moral or what is the the resolve that you're trying to show me that makes all those things um that makes all those things like um what's the resolve that you're trying to show me so that I can't go through the film and say that doesn't matter that doesn't matter that doesn't matter you know what i mean and how would you say in the end it mattered right to me i mean it was like this complete like pulse of just violence and like uh, hardships and like, he, I mean, he was broken the entire film, you know, like from a physical yeah. level to an emotional level. And at the end, he, by him, again, like this is a major spoiler, but to him giving that away, giving yeah. that, giving that, that revenge away to somebody else was like the ultimate act of um, self, like spiritual awareness. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. like, it was like the the utmost, like, I can't, I, you can't say grace because he, he, he let grace. him, he let him die. You know what I mean? It right. was, but it was in some way, it was like by him saying, um, what did he say, Jared? Revenge is, 
like was it like revenge just give revenge back to the earth or something like that? No, or like it was something for the gods. Uh, it was something all along the lines of um, revenge belongs to the Lord or something like that. Yeah. Well, by him saying that last line, like not killing Tom Hardy's character and saying like revenge isn't for me. Right. Like realizing after stewing over this thing for six weeks, trying traveling hundreds of miles at the end of it, getting to the point where it says, this isn't for me. Not like, uh, this is like, I'm too morally, um, knowledgeable. Like I, I, I can't do this. And like, I don't have the nerve to do it because it definitely has a nerve and he's doing it the whole time. Right. But it's like, on a more spiritual level, on a more like humanity level, this thing that I'm chasing, I don't deserve this. This isn't for me. I'm going to give this away. Which is like kind so, of a... Let me just play devil's advocate here. Um, what is the point... And again, I love the movie. But when you when you see the ending, how does that just like... It feels like it negates the whole movie. If you if you think about it like that, like what is what is his drive? What is his motive for the whole? Do you think it's a revenge film? I guess is my question. Yes, my I mean, my gut when you just if if you just ask me that question, my gut reaction is yes. I would say it's the opposite of a revenge film. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What's that, the uh, opposite of revenge? Reve the opposite of revenge is grace. I guess, but I don't feel like I... I struggle... That would make me like it less if it was... If you put it under, like, the moniker of a revenge film. Because I, I feel like that's kind of shallow, I think by I think he's I, saying more than that. I just don't I know if I can the, put my finger on it. I think he wanted you to feel I think with the him making you feel like it was a revenge film was a smokescreen. Yeah. Okay. For something I could larger. deal with that. I could deal with that. You know what I mean? If it was like a vehicle to get you to like something more important, I just can't put my finger on like I think the, what the, you're searching for is a another meaning, but I think the actual meaning is the disproving of something. Okay, keep going. The meaning behind Hugh Glass figuring out that it's not about revenge or revenge. It is confusing because he doesn't kill him. He doesn't kill Tom Hardy himself, but he sends him off to be killed. Right. Do you know what I mean? So I have to take it at surface value. Like, what Inaratu just literally just physically did by having Leo's character send, send Tom Hardy down the river to the group of Indians, and then they scalp him, and then that's it, and then he's dead. So let's, so just, like, let's just talk a little bit here because, um, okay, the line that he says, and again, I don't know it. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it was something to the effect of essentially revenge belongs to God, right? Something like that? Right, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, Something that I feel like is interesting is to think about everything that Hugh Glass went through, right? Yeah. And you hear Tom Hardy whisper in his ear, 
something to the effect of like nothing's going to bring your son back. Yep, yep. And I think internally Glass has got to be thinking there that is 100% true. And if that is the case, what am I what did I do all of this for? Yeah. Is it for revenge? And I think he had in that moment to to decide that if his end game is revenge, what is crawling out of a grave for? And, and you know, traveling hundreds of miles to track down this guy. I feel like in that moment he had to realize that all the work he did to, like, survive had to add up to more than one moment of, like, revenge. I think what it was, dude, was the realization that these things that I have are not mine. Yeah. Like, my son, my wife my health, you know, my life, you know, in a sense, like whatever you believe, whether like that's given to you by the earth or God or, you know, whatever. I think the realization that he had was, I think exactly what you just said, which is like just expounding on it. I think it was like saying he realized that these things are not mine to keep. Are these things are not mine? I mean, you can, I feel like he cherished them. You know, I feel like he cherished his son and his wife and like kind of mourns that loss, you know, obviously. But like, yeah, I think he's like, he realizes in that moment, these things aren't mine, you know. And I think there's a moment, I think he had to realize what do I have left? Yeah. You know, like kind of take stock of like, if, if what I have left is reveling in revenge for the rest of my life, living off of this one moment of revenge, that's not much to have like gone through all that I went through to have. But no, if- dude, I think he like, I mean, uh, all this to say like Tom Hardy dies. I yeah. mean, in one way or another, Leo kills him. So like, I think ultimately what has to be said is that because, like I said earlier, I have to take it on face value. Sure. And say, okay, Inaratu had this character, like, very nearly kill this other character. Well, you're talking about Inaritu again, like he's kind of playing God and moving these pawns around. Let's talk narrative. Well, he is. I know, right, on one level he is. But narratively, like taking the filmmaker out of it, like what's happening in the story. Yeah. Like, he's, like, these characters are introduced narratively by fate, right? Sure. The fact that 30, 40 feet away are a group of Indians, Native Americans, that narratively represents what? Some kind, the fact that God took judgment? Yeah. I mean, dude, honestly, you could take this a lot of different ways where like, it's like somewhat instead of Leo taking revenge on like what he's lost, giving that revenge to Native Americans like that were sitting across the river that have lost more than he has. Yeah. You know, in some ways taking, um, giving almost like this person that has done such harm to their people. Yeah. 
and giving that to them and saying like, I know I've lost what I've, what I've lost. You know, I, I've lost this. So I love my, you know, my wife, my son, I almost died, you know, but like seen in some way, I think that, I mean, in a way that could be what he's, what Inarati is doing sure. or trying that's, to make that's you feel. super interesting. Yeah. I also, it's like, let me, let me give this to them. They've lost more than I have, you know. Revenge is not this. Reve- this particular revenge is not for me. So let's let me set this up real quick. Historically, what this country has done to Native Americans is one of the biggest travesties that I think our country will ever have to deal with. Yeah. So, like the amount of wrong is just unequivocal. But let me narratively for for this story. Let's break it down a little bit. In two ways, Tom Hardy. My favorite thing about this movie, I think, is the way that um, Inaritu blurs the line between good and evil, okay? Sure. So think about the fact that he sat there with Leonardo DiCaprio, his character, and said, blink. If you want me to do this, blink. And what did he do? (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, that was the the biggest surprise of the entire experience was like – Tom Hardy's character was sort of being a good guy. Exactly. Well, I mean, at the same time, motives, a, but still, right. He was, he really like, I think he wanted to preserve his own life, but they had this unspoken agreement. Right. That was very clear. And so on one hand, it's kind of impossible to really put him totally in the wrong. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. And then, you see Tom Hardy take his, like, bandana off, and you see his scalp right, right. has been ripped to shreds. He barely has hair on the top of his head because he's been scalped by Native Americans, okay? And so you think about the fact that on some level we don't know the full story, and maybe he did something to provoke it, but he's also been – he has some basis – on which to not like these people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, for sure. So you you can't just cast him into like this fear of like he is evil. I think how much that complicates the narrative and how much that complicates his character. Yeah. It's, it's well, I, almost I impossible it... to be like he deserved that. So that's one of my favorite parts of the, of the film in general is – is Enrique's the complexity ability to, of to, to blur the lines? Is crazy, yeah. To sum up my whole uh, opinion on this movie, Enrique, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I I respond to it, and there is something like in me that connects to what he does. Yeah, but really being able to like articulate it, and maybe there's something, and I'm not trying to be whatever. I'm kind of okay with that. I think it's okay to kind of like get lost yeah. in like the mystery of the film and not be able to connect everything to some spiritual, ethical, moral theme because I think you and I both agree we felt it. There's something yeah. like in well, the let, theater let and that this, experience Jared. that was magical. Let me ask you this and maybe I would like to try and hear you kind of uh, verbalize it. Why do you feel like you want that? Why do I feel like I want what? Why do you feel like you want to to know the ethical moral or the the 
resolve of a film? What do you, as like a 100%, 100%, it is to get in the head of the filmmaker so that I can like totally put it to work in my own, in my own work. Huh. That's weird. Not weird, weird, but, um, it just seems sort of selfish. <laughs> yeah, seems, I mean, I think I, seems so... I think I kind of gave up watching movies to strictly enjoy them when I decided to do this. Do filmmaking? Yeah. How? I'm not saying I don't enjoy movies. I'm just saying, like you're, t- but you're telling me you don't go into a a theater and and just sit there and not think about how they lit it, what he's trying to say, the character development, like all this stuff. You know, I don't think about all that when I'm watching it. But when I reflect on it, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm totally trying to break it down and figure out how he arrived where he arrived and what his thought process was. And then, yeah, apply that to like what I do. I'm not saying that I'm like successful at that or that I even get it right ever. But yeah. I, I do feel like I'm, I'm trying to figure like think how they learn to think how really successful people think and yeah i i feel like that's why i'm so obsessed with it yeah trying to figure out like what he's trying to say and how he says it yeah i guess i'm trying to kind of like hack his brain yeah i think what's more what's extremely interesting on the other side is like seeing really successful or really admired directors like miss it. Yeah. Like that is super interesting to me, you know. Like I I the other week last week I went and watched Joy. Yeah. It was still in theaters after Christmas. Haven't seen it. And I love David O. Russell. I mean, I would say don't see it. But I love David O. Russell and I think he's been on a little bit of a roll lately sure, and yeah. like I have no idea why his being even mentioned about joy. It's so crazy how like in, in each of his like interviews that he's doing, each of like the, anytime he talks about maybe in the last like three years or something, the last couple of movies he's done, it's always been all this self-realization of like, I went off the path that I wanted to go as a filmmaker. Yeah. I yeah. went off the path trying to make these films that I thought would make me critically acclaimed or make me whatever and then now I'm making the the I'm talking about the films I want to make and I'm 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 shooting the characters that I really want to do and, and and I found my voice. And then I watched this movie that he just put out and it's a total shit fest. And like I have literally it's it's, it's so interesting to see directors do that. Yeah. Um, and I, I and what do you feel like you learned from that? Or do, or do you care? Is that is that how you? No, I care a lot. Yeah, I think what I learn, and I, th- like, I am so sold on the idea that no one has any idea what they're doing. I think you're right. Like none. Like I'm sitting here right now, and I'm, I'm obsessed with the things that I want to make. And I'm obsessed with like the people that I want to make things with. Sure. And I'm obsessed with the idea of being this thing. And like at the end of the day, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And like people build up this impression of you that you might 
know what you're doing because you've had some success in the past. But like just as easy as that comes, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like sure. you, you've had things take off in your world and like, well, okay. So I, I got this gift. It was probably three years ago. Now I got this book, you know, people know I like movies. They know I like yeah. to make stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I got this gift and it was this little book. Like a book that you would not read. And I didn't for like two years. It was called Things Filmmakers Say. And I was like, this sounds like trash. I'm never going <laughs> to open this up. But I I don't know why, but I saw it on the bookshelf and kind of cracked it open. And essentially it's just a book of like quotes from filmmakers. And what I found to be really interesting is exactly what you're talking about. So the book's kind of structured in a way – it kind of flows from like topic to topic. So maybe it's like um, how you direct actors or um, how you set a scene or how you write a story or yeah. whatever. And so it yeah. kind of flows in and out of these different topics. And on each page is just one quote from a different filmmaker. So some are more well-known, some are less well-known. But what I loved about it, after, and I've read it in like 30 minutes. It's like a super easy read. What I loved about it was the fact that Almost every filmmaker contradicted, like, what another filmmaker said. Yeah. And so I had this pretty holistic impression after I finished, like, reading through these quotes. You're right. Nobody freaking knows what they're doing. And everybody yeah. approaches it differently. And even, like, topic by topic, everyone, like, either disagrees with each other or just has a totally different method, a totally different practice. So I'm with you. Yeah. I feel like at the end of the day, everybody's guessing and trying things. Yeah. But it, at the same time, it's frustrating for even me to hear myself talk about um, or even to hear like my friends or something say like, like break his decisions and like the Revenant's like purpose and like the Revenant's like what they didn't or did like about the Revenant, you know, like it's frustrating because – like, I know that the Inaratu is, like, literally, like, he won't ever probably say it. I would never say this, but, like, I'll speak on his behalf. <laughs> but He would appreciate uh, that. Yeah, he would probably. But I'm sure that he's saying, I am guessing at this. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's there's practices that filmmakers can learn over time that, increasingly lessen the risk of screwing something up or just totally having a flop, you know? And I think a lot of that is yeah. staying true to yourself, not like, um, yeah, like staying true to yourself and um, continuing to work with people that you, that, that you like to work with, not like, you know what I mean? I think there's, you just see trends sure. with directors and stuff, but like, at the end of the day, they're still guessing whether this is going to work. Does that bring, in some way, does that bring, like, comfort to you? It brings, at the same time that it brings comfort, it brings ultimate dread. <laughs> because I know. It, <laughs> like you never, it, 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 it's a mirage. Yeah, it's a mirage. Like, the idea that, like, there's these autonomous directors that just, like, know how to make good films. They know how to make good content. They know how to, you know what I mean? Like I've seen the yeah. best directors in the world. 
because I see all their movies. I've seen these best, the best directors in the world make flops. So what's exciting to me about what you're saying, and again, I'm not equating (laughs) you or I to like these guys who are making amazing films and have for like a long time, but it seems like what really separates someone like you or me from someone who's making, made a career out of making great movies is experience. Trying and failing and trying and failing. Yeah. No, Would yeah, you yeah. agree with that? Right. Oh, yeah, man. And trying and I, succeeding. Yeah. And I think that is exciting for for someone like you or me or whoever that's trying to, like, make great stuff that, like, there's not some magic threshold that you cross. There's no. not, like, you're not you're not entering heaven's gates or, like, whatever, and it's, like, now you are a good filmmaker. Yeah. No, it's it simply exist. doing it over and over again, and it's probably a, some luck involved as well. It's like you, it's, a, it's the same principle of, of, of playing sports or being a writer or um, playing video games, you know? Like um, if, I, if I spend enough time doing this, um, then ultimately like I'm going to become better I think you at just it. lost all your credibility when you threw video games in the mix. Dude, I think, but I play, whatever. <laughs> hey man if everything else fails you've got that to fall back on yeah pro gamer yeah what's Dude, your let me, what's let like me your add, username my username yeah i won't tell you <laughs> i will okay. not tell you okay for anybody no. that really cares i i super enjoy playing black ops 3 i enjoy uh you know, all right. Moving playing on. Madden. Uh-huh. I like you know. I like yeah, I like playing. Uh, <sighs> you know. So, Jared, I don't even know if there's like a way to resolve this whole. We thing. arrived at I nothing. Think we arrived at literally nothing. But I think that was a waste of however much time this turns into. <laughs> no, 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 man. I think um, honestly. I'll say this. This is probably one of my favorite conversations I've ever had with you. And I hope that it translates into a good podcast. We'll see. Do you see what I did there? The good thing? It's comforting. You think so? Yeah. I think it's comforting to know that at the end of each episode, we have to say good. I mean, if you think that's the best, then... I'm good. This episode was mixed by Christian Stropko, or as we like to refer to him, Christian number two. As always, our music today was created by Cubby. That's Cubby with two Bs. You can check out more of his stuff on CubbySounds.com. Our show is produced by Will Meyer, and our good podcast logo was designed by Eric Hurchin. Also, you can find all of our show notes and other fun stuff at goodthepodcast.com.